All right, we're live on Facebook and we're live on Instagram. So hello, welcome. Hey, Ravi, thanks for joining. Uh, Haytham, Amara, thanks for joining. Uh, if you're watching later on YouTube, thanks for joining. Uh, we have some good questions. Uh, I lost some of them that you that people put in this week. Uh, let me see if I can pull if they will come up from here. But I uh, was a little late on the live stream here, so I'm eight minutes late. I was on call with a student, and we were working about on slide technique, and I got distracted. That's why I'm still wearing these glasses, new blue light glasses. They seem to be helping. I don't know if any of you guys have tried. Uh, blue light glasses, but uh, with all the zooming and streaming and everything that I've been doing, they've been definitely helpful to uh, not have so much eye strain. But uh, welcome. It's uh, Friday, April 17th, and we're going to do another Q&A today. I'm going to, before we get too far in, I'm going to make sure to share this onto my Facebook page so people can find it. Uh, but feel free to drop in uh, some questions as we're going. Uh, the very first question, somebody uh, sent me a messenger question, so I want to um, address that first because he was the first question Not in for the week, so, so I want to make stream. sure Andrew gets but, his question uh, answered. So Andrew asked, Andrew Wagurski, sorry I can't pronounce your last name, Andrew. Uh, he said he was asking me a question, a very practical question, uh, about sending CDs and books, and he said, what, what do you use to use uh Postal service or UPS or what, uh, and we and I've gone through a lot of different iterations of this using the post office, using UPS, using FedEx. Uh, he asked about media mail. So the thing with media mail is that um, the post office can actually go through your mail when you send it media mail. So you have to make sure that you don't put anything that's not supposed to be in there. So you're not supposed to put in any advertising. It's only supposed to be books or CDs. Uh, so you got to make sure that you are careful about what you put in there because they could just take it and throw it away. Uh, and this has happened to me before uh, that someone has, um, somebody has uh, just kind of thrown away the, uh, the he asked uh, about media thing, mail. So like the package. The thing with media mail so is that, um, keeping that in the mind, post office uh, hopefully that answers, answers Andrew's question. Uh, so feel free to drop in your, your questions. Uh, but to answer, Andrew, we, I use uh, usually first-class mail by weight. I have a subscription now with um, Shopify that you put in the uh, weight and the package size, so the envelope size you're using, and it calculates it, prints it out, and you just slap it on and just drop it off at the post office. That's been um, what I've moved to uh, for mailing stuff. So if you're trying to mail stuff, I like the automated stuff, either stamps.com I've used and or... Uh, Shopify, so one or the other. Uh, so feel free to drop in your questions. I got a nice list here, some really thoughtful questions uh, from this week. And I'm just writing to people to tell them that they can also ask questions, drop the questions in here. All right, I'm pulling up our questions. Feel free to ask any as we go, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, there's none in the queue yet, but feel free uh, to ask. All right, so this is from Trombone Josh. Josh. Uh, Trombone is from Montana. I met Josh a number of years ago, so happy to see him here asking a question. And he asked, what made you switch from Edwards to King? So what I'm playing now, ooh, Andrew, I see you. I just answered your question. You're just a couple minutes late. You'll have to watch the replay on Facebook. Uh, so what I'm playing is a King 3B Plus 
this is it. It's not that old. I just have really acidic body chemistry, so it looks older than it is. Um, it's a 525 bore, uh, so that's why it's a 3B plus. Uh, it's not quite as narrow, small and focused as a 2B or, or the regular 3B. But I was playing an Edwards before. It was a 508 Edwards that was based on a 508 Yamaha that I was playing before that, which was like in high school, first year of college, most of college actually. I played on a Yamaha and it was pretty, it was cool, but I was looking for a different sound concept. Um, for me, what happened with the Edwards, because it was a copy of something that was really comfy to play, is that I prioritized like comfort over comfort over functionality over sound concept and it wasn't super ideal in terms of what was coming out the horn so for me i always try to prioritize having uh the sound first and then the like i don't know the ease of playing is not a priority so uh the sound always comes first for me so um you know that's that's why i switched uh, to something that had the sound concept that I was looking for. I was looking for something something a little bit more um, fatter, a little fatter, a little thicker, a little uh, more malleable. The Edwards Bell was uh, satin finished, and I know they say the satin finish doesn't change anything, but for me, I really felt like it wasn't, um, it really wasn't, uh, resonating the way I want it. I mean, I know that seems like a very random thing, but it, it, I think something about the satin finish, something about the way it was constructed to match something else and when it was a previous sound concept. And I wanted something, because the King Bells are such that you can really get them to zip. You can really kind of put some force behind them and really trying to, they have different kind of sound qualities that you can get. Even though it's, you know, 525, I can still play lead um, sometimes, sometimes not. But uh you can kind of get you can kind of get a range of sound concepts and it's still not exactly perfect you know i'm still hearing something slightly different than this uh, but this is the closest that i've been able to get so far uh, when i play something bigger like a 547 it gets a little too tubby so it's to me it would probably be good to do something like custom like right in the middle or something um so yeah s s p h e zungu yeah different trombones do give you different sound that's definitely true uh, and you gotta you gotta match up what's in your head versus what's um, available to you. So that's why I switched from Edwards to King, and then uh, here we are. That was in I played the Edwards until I was at Juilliard, so the 2010, uh, 11, oh, even 12, so 13. I think I switched 13 or 14 even, and I went back and forth between this one, which has a yellow brass bell, and one that had a silver bell, and so uh, I just kind of went back and forth between those two. All right, there's some great questions uh, coming in today, so thanks for asking those. Here's one. This one came. These kind of came in first, and then I'll get to you, Paul. Um, some people trolling in the chat here. But uh, that's all right. Just ignore them. Okay, what do you think is the best budget microphone for trombone? Um, I don't know. I like the Coles 4038. And that's not a budget microphone, but that's the microphone that I love to use on trombone. In terms of a budget microphone, uh, this is what I have. This is a Rode. This is like a podcasting microphone just to, for speaking. Uh, I've recorded a little bit of trombone on it. It seems to be okay. I've recorded some trombone on this apogee mic this is oops, can i get it on screen here 
this is a microphone from Apogee. It's just called Mic, M-I-C. Uh, it's USB. I don't have anything fancy in terms of my home setup, but as long as it sounds like a trombone to me, then I'm kind of okay with, with it when it's a budget situation. But other than that, I don't really want to mess around with anything. It's either got to be easy and cheap and sound pretty good. You can use an SM58 or something and a trombone can sound pretty good. There's a lot of stuff you can do in, in software. So don't go crazy. Either get something budget, like you're saying, or go all the way and get a really, really great sounding microphone like a Kohl's 4038. I like those ribbon, the ribbon microphone sounds on the trombone. I think it's the best. Uh, some people like the RCA better than the Kohl's, but I guess that's a debate we could get into uh, another day. Uh, okay. Let's see. Okay, so we're up to date here on Instagram questions. So uh, you're very welcome, Dylan. Um, there's a lot of options, though, in terms of the budget range. But just make sure that the microphone that you get can handle a trombone because a lot of them, sometimes if you play directly into them, they sound kind of crappy. You know what? Actually, what I would recommend, uh, I would recommend you get a Zoom recorder. Um, a Zoom recorder. Like I have this one. I have a bunch of them. But this one, this is one, a Q2N Zoom. Um, you can get this and use it as a USB interface into your computer. The microphones that are in the Zooms are really good. They sound good. Ugh, I'm dropping stuff, I'm breaking my, my Zoom. But uh, they give a natural sound. And for like jazz and acoustic music, I want it to sound like the instrument, you know? And they, they have adjustable gain control so you can make sure that it's not clipping, meaning not too loud, and busting up the microphones. Excuse me. Ant, miss you too. I know we're all kind of stuck in this quarantine situation. But I'm glad to at least talk to you guys on the live stream. So glad you can be here today. Feel free to drop some questions in. I don't know why this, I don't know why my question disappeared off Instagram, my my poll, but uh, it did. So sorry about that. If you, answer, you asked a question, and I don't get to it. All right, Paul Gavin. Hey, Nick, I'm still fascinated by the solo tours that you've done and grateful to be a small part. What would you say were the benefits and downfalls of doing those tours? Anything you changed? So Paul is a drummer down in um, Florida. I've, he, uh, based out of Tampa, I believe, or one of the places right around Tampa. And um, yeah, he's referring to the last couple of years, uh, including this year, but kind of this year's tour kind of got cut short because of all this Corona stuff. Um, I often do tours by myself and pick up bands around the country. Why I do this is because I want to get the music out. I want to share the music because, you know, you put a, all this time, energy and money into an album. You want to share the music with people. So uh, I've been able to luckily find venues around that are willing to have me. And I view it as kind of an advertising expense that goes into the production of the album. Uh, so I view it that way so that um, I don't worry about the money, you know, like I'm I'm viewing it as expense and then whatever comes back in is an investment towards the next album. So um, the benefits of doing these things is that you get your music out there. Um, you get to meet a lot of people. Uh, you get more people that are interested in your music, talking about your music, um, listen to it a couple of times, you know, so it kind of forces a few people to check it out because you ask them to play with you. Um, you know, and I think it used to be that way in the jazz industry that, you know, people would go and play with people, um, go and play in like Chicago and then LA. And so anyway, I just figure that 
I don't have the budget to bring my whole band yet with me. So I don't want to let that preclude me from um, actually doing a tour. So that's why I've been doing it. I did it in 17, I did it in 18, I did it in 19. Uh, and in 2020, well, we got cut short this year, but it was going. And this year I was able to take Lucas Pino with me. But the downfalls is, the main downfall is that it's not the real version of the music, quote unquote. All right, I got to pause. Two people now have commented on these glasses, Adam and Nadia. Uh, they're brand, they're new. They're not, um, they're blue light glasses because I've been spending a lot of time on the computer. So I decided to get the blue light glasses so that my eyes didn't hurt so much. I'm getting old. Uh, but uh, they're from Movement, MVMT, that company. They're not prescription, so I have to wear my contacts and then have the glasses also. Uh, but back to just finishing up my answer to Paul's question, the downfall is that the music isn't exactly how it is on the album. Um, you can't play all the complicated stuff, like the more intricate stuff, um, just because you can't, you know, there's not enough rehearsal time. And uh, so it's maybe not exactly the product that you want to put out into the world. And I understand why sometimes people uh, protect their music in that way. And I think at some point I'll probably do the same. But at this point, I still think I'm on the up climb, you know, like of what's happening with my career and my music. So I feel like I'm still trying to get up to something higher and get more people aware of what I'm doing uh, in terms of, you know, at least the jazz industry, jazz fans, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So I guess I hope that answered your question, Paul. But uh, if not, you know, let me know. Uh, well, thanks for thanks for being here, everybody. I'm glad to see so many people on the stream uh, kind of in and out. It's great. Feel free to drop questions in as we go here, but I have some from this week to get to. Uh, let's see. So Jonah Portinari, he says, also, how do you tailgate on trombone? So I'm guessing he asked another question, but oh, he asked about transcriptions too. So, okay, I'll do both of these at once from Jonah. He says, what are good transcriptions to start with? And he also says how to tailgate on the trombone. So these things are going to go hand in hand, because if you want to learn how to tailgate, you got to listen to tailgate trombone style. So um, just talking this past week with one of my students and we were talking about the history of jazz trombone and talking about what types of solos and what types of people you might want to check out to dig this type of playing so i would suggest going all the way back to the beginning and with kid ori he did it first and so you might as well go to him um him and you have to transcribe him doing the tailgate style so you know, listen to those early recordings of the Louis Armstrong groups, Hot Fives, Hot Sevens, not Hot Five because it's no trombone, Hot Seven, and and uh, transcribe what he's doing. You know, you have to find your role and stay out of the way. You know, that's your job as the tailgating trombonist. You know, you're not supposed to get in the way. You're supposed to support. So knowing your role. Hi, Amanda. Um, knowing that you need to go and uh, listen to the melody, make sure there's, there's basically, you know, the trumpet is playing the melody, the clarinet is playing kind of this obligato over the top, and then the trombone is playing the supporting harmony role. So your job is to fill in that middle between the bass and the melody. So transcribe, Kidori. Then I might jump forward and say Jack Teagarden, transcribe some Jack Teagarden, not the solo, but what they're doing when they're tailgating. And then uh, Trummy Young, was a little bit later, but he's also a great tailgate trombone player. So if you transcribe some Kid Ori, not the solos, the tailgating itself, transcribe Jack Teagarden playing with ensemble and transcribe um, 
Trummy Young doing that. Uh, you can get a lot of information. There's other people like Miff Mall, um, JC Hickenbotham. There's a lot of people that did this style uh, very, very well, but you don't need to transcribe all of them. You need to just dig dig into a few of them and see and see what's going on with them. So um, that's the answer there. And some good solos to start with transcribing. If you've never transcribed before, I recommend uh, something that's going to be easily accessible to you, uh, something you might have heard a bunch of times, something you might be able to sing, um, as in like you've heard it a million times, you can sing along with it, uh, would be, I usually send people to Miles Davis on, so what? Because there's not a lot of changes. You don't got to worry about like a ton of 2-5 harmony or chromatic stuff. It's all within those harmonies and it's not too long. It's two choruses, I believe. And it's just relaxed, medium tempo. So that's where I would start. I send people to Miles Davis, so what? And then I send people to, for trombone stuff, uh, Curtis Fuller on Blue Train. And I always say to leave out the fast part because he's playing a lot of really great language, blues language and simple language, uh, but not it's not that difficult to play. It's not that difficult to get into. So those are the first two, Jonah. Uh, Miles Davis, so what? And then do Curtis on Blue Train and then we can talk. All right. So send me a video of you doing that, and then uh, I'll give you some more suggestions after you've put in the time. Great. All right, there's a question over here from Instagram from Ryan Brown 557 says, what advice would you have for overcoming roadblocks? Well, I'm not exactly sure what kind of roadblocks he's talking about. Uh, so if you're watching right now, Ryan, maybe you could expand on what type of roadblocks you're talking about. If you mean like practicing roadblocks, um, it's usually to find something that is tackling the same concept but uh, with new music because usually what's causing the roadblock in my experience has been that you're no longer inspired by whatever you're working on. So sometimes with students, if you work on the same thing for too long, they end up not being interested in it anymore. Even if they love the transcription or they love the tune that they're working on, sometimes you have to uh, force it. You know, you have to move on but you have to find something that has the same concepts in it so that you can uh, overcome that roadblock if it's like a practicing roadblock uh, in terms of a tempo or in terms of a, a key or something like that um, if it's like a tempo you know i would say like push it further than it needs to go so that it's comfortable when you pull the tempo back down and you're just you're practicing it at the normal tempo again or the performance tempo so you want to be pushing yourself beyond where you want to be comfortable uh, and so if that means playing tunes in 12 keys so you're more comfortable in the home key if that means playing faster so you can play slower all that different kind of stuff um, so that's how I'm interpreting your question Ryan if that wasn't really what you were talking about then you got, then let me know uh, drop in another another comment a follow-up to your question but we're taking questions today it's friday april 17th and so thanks for thanks for joining thanks for hanging out i hope you're all doing well staying healthy and safe wherever you might be i see people kind of from all over logging into the facebook and uh, instagram streams okay perfect ryan said that's what he was asking so uh, i'm glad to hear that all right i got another question in the queue here from this week all right there's a blank there's a bunch of trolls and a bunch of blank people that reply and so i'm going to ignore them so heinrich practicing <laughs> that's funny good screen name or not screen name handle you can tell i'm a child of the night of the uh the, the 2000s the screen name man uh aol instant messenger you got to have your, your hip screen name 
Uh, okay, so Heinrich asks, how can you improve your high range while keeping good tone? So having a full tone in the high range is one of the most difficult things to do. Uh, but the first thing is you have to actually be able to play the notes. So um, I don't really discriminate uh, against playing high notes with a thin sound at first because you have to play them with a thin sound before you can play them with a full sound, at least in my experience. And so I would recommend um, playing them out in the longer positions, meaning instead of trying to play a high F in first, if you gliss from the F, you know, uh, two ledger lines above the staff and try to go up an octave and go against the grain, so it goes boo and try to play it out in sixth position because there's less um, resistance or there's more resistance when you go out so that once you get all the way out you can go play that high F out there and maybe it's a little a little tiny F and it's squeaky or whatever but then over time it'll get stronger and stronger you can keep going up by by half steps you could play like D to D and then E flat to E flat E to E F to F keep going maybe and then that's relating to what I was telling Ryan a second ago that you if you want to um, push yourself past these roadblocks. If it's a range roadblock, you got to go higher than you want to go. I always said you got to go a minor third above where you want to be comfortable. I remember struggling to reach a high B flat when I was in high school. And my teacher always said, well, the D, the B flat is irrelevant because if you can't play a, a D flat above the B flat, then you're not actually going to be able to play the B flat when you want to play it. And I didn't know how true that was until later, but it was definitely 100% correct. So you got to push yourself beyond uh, where you are, where you want to be able to get to in order to be able to be comfortable with the thing that you're trying to do. So uh, it, those are the things you got to play those notes with a little sound before you can play them with a big sound. You got to play them glissed out to or ripping up to before you can hit them right on with an articulation uh, and be patient with yourself. High range stuff is like notoriously difficult and notoriously um, hard the lack of better way, better way to put it. So I've never, I'm not like a super high range player myself. Like I can play the notes, but I'm not a person that can like slam out some high Fs. That's just not my strength. So, um, but for me, I had to get up there, start playing songs in the upper register, get that register uh, just to be a little more full slowly over time. So uh, that's what you got to do. Um, who asked that question? Heinrich. So Heinrich, that's what you got to do. Great. All right. I think there was a couple more questions that, that got dropped in during this week, but they disappeared uh, because I was too slow. I needed to save them sooner and I didn't do it. So uh, if you want to drop in a question now, uh, please go ahead. Tony is saying take five. I don't know why, but uh, he also said Steve Trey. Yes, Steve Trey is a great uh, mentor of mine. He's a great trombonist, um, obviously and a uh, great musician, composer, all of that stuff. So uh, I've got a couple more questions. This is kind of a next question is kind of long watched why I saved it for last. Um, I'll start answering it. But uh, feel free to drop in some other questions while I'm answering this one because it might take a few minutes to actually get through this question. From Gil Evans project. So Ryan Truesdell, great composer, producer, he was on the show a couple weeks ago. He was talking about the role of a jazz producer. You can go find that on YouTube. There's plenty of uh, <clears throat> plenty of conversation from that that you can listen to. I don't need to go into it right now. But he asked this. He said, 
What are the challenges and important aspects of playing in a section, big band and mixed instrumentation? <laughs> and then a, a little personal note after that. But, um, you know, as a trombonist in particular, it's one of the most essential jobs that you have is being able to play in an ensemble, play with other people. It's not, you know, a whole lot of gigs to be had as just the leader, you know, all by yourself. Um, you've got to be able to function within uh, an ensemble, whether it's a big band or, or otherwise. So some thoughts, some techniques, some uh, tips and tricks, I suppose, for uh, developing that is that you have to be able to sight read really well so that you're not thinking about the sight reading that you're doing, number one. Um, if you're thinking about the notes that you're about to play and you're obsessed with like, oh my God, I gotta make sure that I play this right, there's no way you're gonna be able to, to blend and balance and match style and match sound with the people around you. Um, so particularly, I'm gonna talk about playing, you know, like second or third trombone and like, or it could be, could be second or third tenor or second or third trumpet. You know, your job is to number one, support the lead player and then also listen to the rest of uh, the section to for intonation and style and sound. So you want to be part of the sound. You want to be part of the overall blend. You need to play up to the lead, but not overpower the lead. Uh, there's a lot of things here, I know. But if you're thinking about the notes and rhythms that you're playing, there's no way that you can uh, actually like blend and balance in real time. So you need to be comfortable enough with the music that you can get out of there. So then uh, this is related to something we talked about the last on the last uh, week. We talk, I, people said, what do you think about when you improvise? And I said, well, when I'm improvising, I'm listening to everybody else. I'm saying, what does the music need right now? And so I say the same thing when I'm playing in a group, when I'm playing in a section. Like, what does the section need right now? What does the music need? Do I need to play louder? Is my note out of tune? Am I playing too loud in the balance? Is this major seventh too loud? Does it need to be chill, you know, hide back in the voicing? So um, that's what I ask myself. What does the music need right now? What is the amount of playing I should be doing? What, what does the lead player need? Is he playing way up in the upper register? Do I need to really kind of play full to support him so he can sit right on top of the section? Um, now, the, the other thing that comes into play is, uh, hang on one second, I gotta start this. The other thing that comes into play is the uh, balance of the different instruments when you get into a mixed instrumentation. So a lot of what I've done in my career is play in a lot of groups that are kind of medium-sized, like I play in Lucas Pino's Nanette, uh, and I play in Anat Cohen's Tentet. Uh, and so those are groups where it's not like a trombone section, but it's like a horn section, maybe, and like a, with the Knots group in particular, we've got trombone, flugelhorn, or trumpet, and berry, berry sax, um, vibes, cello, uh, what other horns? I guess the guitar is a horn sometimes. And then we have clarinet, which is a knot, playing the lead a lot of the time. So being aware of like, what is the size of the sound I'm creating? So that's kind of a weird thing to say, I know, but like how resonant is my sound right now? Is it fitting into the context of what it needs to be? Um, you have to adjust your sound concept. And I talk about sound concept in terms of improvising and developing your own sound a lot. Um, so you have to have a sound, a malleable sound concept that can fit into these situations. So knowing how you're balancing with 
a cello is a lot different than another trombone section. So you have to listen more to everybody else than listen to yourself. So again, that becomes like another whole thing of like, you have to be comfortable with what you're doing. You can't be guessing, you can't be thinking about what the tune is, you can't be thinking about, you know, what am I supposed to be playing right now? You have to be singularly focused on what's happening around you uh, and try to listen to the whole section from above or around the front. You know, what does it sound like of all of us together? What's the, the sum of all of our sounds? Um, you know, when you play with really good balance, you can't hear yourself. You disappear into the overall sound, uh, whether that's cello and trumpet and berry, or if it's, you know, five horns, you know, alto, tenor, berry, trumpet, trombone, when you're really playing in tune and you're really playing with e each other and inside of each other's sound concepts, you just kind of disappear. You just kind of slip into the, into the sound and you're not necessarily, it's not one voice. It's like a sum of all voices together, you know? Um, so those are some tips overall, but it really requires you to have your sight reading at a high level. And so that you're playing at a high level so that you're not thinking about what's going on. You're thinking about how to make the music the best, which is how to blend the best, how to balance the best, and not thinking about uh, uh, any of these details. So you got to focus on the big picture. That's how you do it. Well, I, hopefully that answered uh, Ryan's question, but um, that's just the beginning, you know. You got to play in different ensembles, you know, play in a pit orchestra, you got to play in a... Um, brass ensembles, you have to play in trombone choir, you have to play in small group with two horns and three horns and two and one horn. And my first band was guitar and trombone. And how does those two sounds playing the melody fit together? Um, and so there's a lot that goes into it. But just thinking about the sound concept is of the ensemble is just as important as your own sound concept is you. So uh, I know this is getting kind of esoteric, but let's move on. <laughs> so those are a few tips and tricks from uh, from Ryan Truesdale. So um, if there's any other questions, feel free to drop them in. Tony, thanks for being here. He wanted me to play the melody to take five. I saw your I saw your uh, message there while I was talking about that other question. Um, but I'm not going to do that right now. I'm not going to play take five just because uh, I don't want to screw it up mostly. But uh, thanks for being here. Um, Hello, John. Hello, Jordan. Thanks for being here, Jordan. Uh, I saw some other people. I saw somebody whose question I answered log on while I was answering it. Yeah, Jordan, or no, Jonah Portinari. I, we answered your question earlier on, so you'll have to go back and watch the replay. Uh, but we did answer your two questions, both questions. Uh, Jordan Pavlika, so he asked thoughts on buzzing. Um, I don't really do that much buzzing. Uh, there is a time and a place for it. I think it's as part of a well-balanced routine. It can be cool, but I don't believe that you actually buzz when you play your instrument. When you play the trombone, I don't really think you actually buzz. You, you're vibrating the air, but there's not, like when you go, it's not the same really to me. Uh, and when you buzz on a mouthpiece, I mean, it doesn't feel the same at all as when you're playing into the instrument. So I don't really make a huge priority out of it, but sometimes I will do some very quiet buzzing um, when I, with a piano to just kind of even things out. But the, if I do too much buzzing, like 
sometimes it makes my sound more spread, more thin, more airy than actually focusing it. So I'd like to do whisper tones to like focus the sound in. Um, I know some people really swear by buzzing, but I also think that it's really important for you to find what works for you and not worry about, you know, this person said this and this person said that. It's like, well, there's a lot of ways to play the trombone well, and uh, not everybody has to have the same routine. But uh, I don't buzz. I don't make a priority to buzz. Um, it seems like maybe trumpet players like to do it more, but uh, I just don't think it's that important to do as a trombonist. Sometimes uh, in specific situations, there can be a reason to to dig into buzzing if you're really like having trouble getting the sound going or getting the air going because uh it takes a lot more air to do the buzz than to make a sound on the trombone um just because of the resistance that's inevitable when you uh, play the trombone and i always think that when you're buzzing people generally buzz too loud like they they really like buzz really loud when really like you need to play with the same sort of thing sort of effort that you do when you have it plugged into the trombone so for me i usually tell people to cover uh, a little bit of it and then and then play to get a little bit of resistance and play soft really soft right and it's really about moving the air and getting the air because like i said a lot more air to get the mouthpiece to buzz than it is to uh, play the instrument so it to me there's separate things and i got into free buzzing for a while and then i kind of moved away from it but uh there's a whole jordan there's a whole video on youtube about buzzing techniques and stuff that i put up I don't know, last year around this time, I think, actually. I was in D.C. for the American Trombone Workshop, and I know I made a video at the hotel about that one. So, Jazzboy2020, how are you doing? Um, appreciate you being here. Uh, I'm going to go back to the beginning. Some people wrote some profane comments, and I just realized you could uh, actually um, delete them and or report them. Yeah, here they are. So I'm going to do that. I don't know what's happening with this. It paused me. Sorry about that. Uh, so we're back. Any other questions? Feel free to drop them in. That was my uh, thoughts about buzzing, uh, Jordan. So yeah, cool. Glad you saw it. Check that out. But uh, overall, not a huge priority for me to do the buzzing. Uh, hope you guys are all doing super well. Hope you're all uh, staying safe, staying healthy. Uh, it's been quite a while of this uh, quarantine so far. So uh, starting to really get uh, a little crazy. Um, so I'm upping my kind of content game. And if you're interested in seeing more stuff, I've been doing live streams on Mondays, Thursdays and Fridays. On Mondays, it's with the outside in music artists. We've been talking about their music, um, the outside in channels. If you don't know, outside in music is my uh, label and, and production company and media company and do a whole bunch of different things. But uh, we've been streaming the artists so they uh, happy hour chats so they can kind of share what they've been up to. So that's on Monday nights. On Thursday, yesterday, uh, we did a practice session just playing some tunes uh, with some play alongs. And I kind of trade back and forth with people. So if you want to mark that on your calendar next Thursday around noon, we're doing the same thing. I will post a set list beforehand. So follow either in the stories here on Instagram or on Facebook. I'm still working on being able to get all of the audio into Instagram. So uh, the live stream for Thursdays will only be on Facebook, I think, uh, just because of technical difficulties uh, of being, I'm some working on it, but I think it'll be happen soon, but not, not this week. And then Fridays we do our weekly Q&A and that's where we are 
we are here. So, uh, and I've been releasing as much as I can um, on uh, YouTube in terms of trombone stuff. Uh, man, it's really good. There's a lot of really great stuff happening. A lot of people giving us a hard time in the chat, which is great. I love uh, I love getting trolled. It's all good. Oh, look at this. Anyway, uh, all good, all is well, and thanks for being here. Any other questions, feel free to drop them in or we'll kind of wrap up uh, for this week. It's been a nice little Q&A. And uh, if you didn't know, I always try to get the Q questions on Thursday started so that we have some for Friday. So, uh, And if you send me a messenger, like the very first question we did today, I answered from that, uh, from there. So um, that's how I like to do it. Make sure if the earlier you get your question in, uh, I'll make sure that it gets answered. But uh, I don't see any more coming in for today, so I'm going to sign off. Uh, but this will be posted on YouTube uh, probably next week. So hope you enjoyed the Q&A. Thanks for being here. Hope you're doing well, and we'll see you in a week.